Well, welcome again to our service this morning, and um, if you're a visitor among us, uh, we've started a large study in the book of Deuteronomy, so I think we're one, two, three, four, it's a fifth sermon in, so if you've uh, missed any of it, <coughs> I really encourage you to go online, and <coughs> yes, it's us speaking, but listen to the message, catch up on what's happening, otherwise you would have missed out on a lot, and let's together study God's Word and see what He has to say to us in 2019 from this Old Testament book. And just, I can give you a homework up front for next week because today we're going to cover nearly three chapters and I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm hoping that you have read so that you kind of know where we're at. But you really need to do this reading if you want to get anything from um, these sermons on Sunday mornings. And so your uh, work for next week is to read Six, chapter 6 verse 10 to chapter 8 verse 20 and we're going to be looking at tests of faith um, and so that's what's coming ahead if you want a little outline of what to read there are some still available at the desk um, as you leave this morning so today we're looking at the topic worship matters therefore love the Lord and uh, we're going to see what God has to say to us through his word let's just pray together Lord, as we turn to your word, thank you that we know that we can trust you and you have given us your word. And so, Lord, help us to trust your word and to put what we learn from it into practice and to trust the promises that you've made through your word and to know you will Carry us through into eternity because you are the unchanging and all-powerful and all-knowing God. And so, Lord, this morning we pray, open our hearts, give us clarity of understanding, but above all, may your Spirit rest on us so that your Spirit speaks to each person sitting here where we need to hear the message. Use this time now, we pray. Amen. So if you turn with me to the reading in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we're going to be reading the first 10 verses together now. I'm sure you've heard these words before. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. And you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Now, remember he's partway through his three-part sermon. And it was a long sermon. And the people had to stand while they were listening to this whole sermon. So he kind of broke it up into three sections. And they'd probably sit down in between and get a glass of water or whatever. And then he'd stand up. People would stand up and he'd carry on with the second part of his sermon. And that's where we are. Right? You're feeling exhausted already? You've made it through one whole section. Come on. So here he is in the second part of his sermon. Verse 2. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. Remember, one generation already passed away. So that's a funny statement. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out to the midst of the fire, 
while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. These words the Lord spoke all to your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. So that's the background that we've got. God's commands to his people. You see, mankind is created to worship, and that's why we've been, I've entitled this today, Worship matters. We are created to worship. You and I are spiritual beings in human bodies. We're not bodies with souls. We are spiritual beings in bodies. Do you see the difference? We're created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. Listen to the words. So clear. And it cuts across all kinds of societal issues today. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Very clear. God created us to worship. Why? Because he is a being of worship. Paul Tripp, well-known writer and theologian, said it this way. He said, human beings, by their very nature, are worshippers. Worship is not something we do. Worship defines us. Interesting. You see, in society today, you'll, you'll hear 
what you do defines you. No. Who you worship defines you, says Scripture. You cannot divide human beings, says Tripp, into those who worship and those who don't. Everybody worships. It's just a matter of what or whom we serve. Everybody worships something or someone or serves something or someone. But we are all worshipers. Yes, even atheists worship. What do atheists worship? Atheists worship the idea that there is no God. How do I know they worship that idea? Because Scripture says that anything which draws our worship away from the one true God is a God. And therefore, if you worship an idea, you're worshiping a God or an idol. Well, in Israel's time, they were surrounded by many, many, many gods from the nations around them. And it's called polytheism. There's a few isms you've got to learn today. So polytheism is the first one. And polytheism was the norm of the day. They were surrounded by idols of many kinds. Israel, for Israel to have worshipped more than one God would not raise any eyebrows. In fact, it was expected. If you were a nation, it was expected you would worship many gods. And so when Israel came and before the nations were only willing to worship one God and one God who has had an exclusive right and a claim as the only God, that would have really raised eyebrows. And that would have really made the nations angry. How dare you? Bigots. Fundamentalists. We've heard those words before, haven't we, today? How dare you say that you have only one way to God? How dare you Christians say that God is the only God to be worshipped? Bigots. Fundamentalists. You see, in today, today's world, we're also surrounded by many gods. Polytheism is alive and well. Many false gods surround us. Aside from the obvious belief in other religions with their teachings, divinities, human leaders, there are also the societal issues and idols. Worship of fortune. Worship of fame, of power. The next big experience. And then the very current one, climate change. Now, I'm not a climate change denier. But the way that the world is going about this, it has become an idol. Because everything is directed at it. You can't open a paper and not hear it. You can't turn on the radio and not hear about climate change. It's become an idol. Romans 1.25 says it this way. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. They worship and serve what God has created instead of the Creator Himself who is to be praised. And so we're so concerned for our environment, we do not worship the Creator God who created that environment. And yes, as believers, we have a responsibility towards our environment. We should be leading the way we live. We should be leading the way we are sustainable. And we've done badly in the past. We need to do better. But we are not to make nature our God. That is contrary to what God says. And so, in the church situation, even wrong theology can become an idol, which we can worship. How does that work? Well, in the papers 
This week, you would have seen a denominational leader saying something like this. I don't believe that a loving God would send people to hell. Well, that's a God of his own making because the scriptures very clearly says God is a God who sends people to hell for sin that hasn't been paid for, but at the same time, he's a God of mercy, and that mercy is available to anyone who would come to him. There's the true God. Who are we to say who God is? That's an idol. And so even wrong theology can be worshipped. You see, the problem is our hearts. Our hearts are idol factories. We make up idols all the time. As soon as you're away from God's word, there's an idol in your life. And many idols take the place of worshipping God. So how were Israel to worship God as we come to this passage in Deuteronomy today? You see, God defines true worship for them. He says to them what it must look like. And so we read about that in Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 to 13. Just flick across a few pages, and you'll come to this definition that God himself gives of true worship. Here it is. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, for your good. There's the definition. And we're going to look at it this morning, even inside this passage today. So what is the first thing we are to do to worship the Lord? We are to have a holy fear of the Lord. If you look at chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, verses 22 to 29, we read this earlier. These are the words the Lord spoke to you, your assembly on the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud of the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more. And then he writes his commands on these stone tablets and gives it to them. So why did the Lord give them his commandments out of thunder and lightning? Why didn't he just have those tablets, present them to Moses and say, there, give them to the people, tell them to obey? Why did he do it with thunder and lightning, smoke? with fear um, on the people. Why? You see, the answer lies in chapter 5, verse 24. Here's the answer. And the people understood, because this is their response. Moses says, And you said, he's speaking to the people, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. We have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man. Here it is. And man still lives. They understood when they saw, when they heard, when they smelt, when they felt the earth trembling beneath their feet. This was the ultimate 4D experience. They understood God is a God who is awesome. He's not my pal. He's not the big J in the sky. He's not my big daddy. This is God Almighty. The one who is my life in his hands. This is almighty God. They understood that, you see. And he was unlike any of the gods of the nations made from stone and wood around them. From the nations. He was the living God. He was the great God. He was the greater than his creation God. He was the God who held their very existence in his hands. And yet, he was the merciful God who did not want to wipe them out but wanted a relationship with him. And so he gives them his Ten Commandments. He said, live by this. 
and you will live before me. And so that's why they got the Ten Commandments. And he says to them, yes, I'm the omniscient, the all-knowing, the all-powerful God. And I want a relationship with you. And I will be your God. You will be my people, but you need to live in a way which pleases me. And you need to worship me in my way. Here are my commandments, obey me. We can't come to God any way we like. We come before an awesome and almighty and all-powerful being who is God. Unfortunately, Israel quickly forgot who God was. Why? Because they asked Moses, out of their fear, to be their representative. We don't want to go up that mountain, Moses. You go in our place. Very brave of them. And so Moses brings them the law. Moses becomes the intermediary to them, between them and God. And so what happens? When Moses speaks, they hear a man speaking. They see Moses disobeying the Lord. They see a man who is not perfect. He's the one who is between them and God, and they forget about the God behind Moses. You see, because like them, Moses is a fallible man. And so they forget to worship God his way. And they quickly start to disobey God and to worship other gods. Remember the golden calf? Moses is still up the mountain with God, the whole mountain trembling, and they are at the base of the mountain worshiping a golden calf which they've made. It doesn't take long, does it? We can't point fingers, people. We very much the same. We also suffer from short-term memory. You see, why do people today not worship God or obey His commands? Because there is no fear of God today. People don't care who He is. Society doesn't care who God is. And so they don't live His way at all. And the sad thing is they can't see it. Because sin dulls their eyes to it. And the deeper they get into the sinful life, the more they don't see it. That's the nature of sin. And so we, we've got an urgent task to take the gospel out because without that, they are just being anesthetized into eternity without God. People don't know God. They don't fear Him. And even those who know who God is, because every single person knows that there is a God, it's in their very DNA. But they either deny Him outright or deny knowing Him and just couldn't be bothered. It's not much better amongst believers today. Those of us who claim to be saved by grace, you see, we too, many of us, have lost our fear of God We've lost our sense of, his, of being aware of Him and Him being with us. This awesome majesty and power of God. We've got a tame God that we worship. We focus only on one or two attributes. Maybe the loving God and the forgiving God. But you see, if we are to love God, we are to understand why we are to love God. And if we, un if we are to understand why we are to love God, we need to understand what God has saved us from. And if we are to understand what God has saved us from, we will understand the consequences of being in His awesome presence covered by sin. What are those consequences? 
consequences of being in the presence of the holy God, the one who is without sin, is eternal punishment and being removed from any blessing from God at all. There's the definition of hell. Being removed from any blessing of God at all, not the smallest one. That's what hell will be like for those who do not know the Lord. God will be present, but His blessings will not be present. He will only be present as the judge. That's a terrifying thought. This is the awesome God, the one who has control of our lives. The one who gives the populace in general, even those who do not believe, general blessings of His grace. And so that when they open their eyes in the mornings, whether they know Him or not, that is a blessing from God. That their very brains function and can drive cars and fly planes and play chess. That is a blessing from God. The ability to eat food, to taste food, is a blessing from God. Down to the smallest little things, it's a blessing from God. When He withdraws His blessing, even the last one, it will be hell. He is awesome and holy. And so true worship of God starts with a healthy fear of God. Psalm 86 verse 11 says this, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Here it is. Unite my heart to fear your name. You want to walk in the Lord's ways? Then fear his name first. It's a good fear to have. It puts us and shows us our place. We are not the ultimate human of humanity and of humanism. Secondly, if we are to worship God, we are to love our Lord. And I love this verse. Chapter 6, verse 4. I told you I had to read the rest. Chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the stress on this little section is the Lord our God. I'm centering on that word our. You see, this is, a Jewish, this is the core of Jewish worship, the Shema. Shema means to hear. Verses 4 to 9 kind of um, summarizes what Jews, when they gathered together to worship today and in the time of Israel, would, would say together as the core of their worship, as they started their worship of Yahweh. They would say the Shema together, those verses. And we're going to look at all of them now, but only verse 4 for now. And here's the core of it. The Lord... If you've got a Bible that uses capital letters, I hope you do, the Lord would be L-O-R-D, capital letters. That means the word Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, the tetragrammaton, which is a consonant word with no vowels, meaning Jehovah. It says literally in the Hebrew, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh, one. We'll come back to the, to, the, to the one now. But what does this mean, Yahweh one? The word Yahweh means he brings into existence whatever exists. He's the source of all light. Yahweh. He's the all-powerful Yahweh Asher Yahweh. Jehovah. Who is Jehovah? He is Yahweh, who is one, 
the one Lord. Now, he's not just describing the unity of the Trinity, the three gods in one. That's not necessarily all that this word means. But what it really means is what the, the point of it all is, he is the God to be worshipped. He is the only God who is God. There is no other God to be worshipped. All other gods are fake. There is only one true God to be worshipped. That's what the one means in the Hebrew. He's the only all-powerful living God, our God. That's amazing, isn't it? It shows a statement of exclusivity. He's the one, the only true God. And he's the one that we say is our God. Now, immediately we say he's our God, it's consumer. He's our God. He belongs to me. Well, actually, the Hebrew has it quite differently. The Hebrew has direction in the owning. And it always goes from the powerful to the weaker. So he is the powerful God who is our God. I got that this week again as a fresh birthday present. This was fantastic. He is the powerful God who says, I am your God. You are my people. I choose to love you. That gave me goosebumps. He's our God. Consumer me says he's, he's our God. Yes, but he says, I choose you. I, the all-powerful being, the omniscient one, the all-powerful one, I have come and I say, I choose you. I want to be your God. That is, that is powerful. And in response, we say, yes, he's our God. We get it. I'll tell you a little story. I made this one up. Just so you know. You won't find it on Google. Sorry. I suppose you would after this. Anyway. There's this good king riding along on his horse. Medieval times. And it's a dark night. It's raining. And he rides past these soldiers who are on their way to the king's castle. And in a cart on the back, on the back of a cart, there's this cage. And inside this cage is a, is a man who's bedraggled and very downcast because he's on his way to the king's castle to get executed. And the king stops. He stops his soldiers and says, Who is this man? Your majesty, this man is a man who murdered many. We've been looking for him for a long time, but now he's going to find his justice under your law. The king looks at the man and he says, I forgive him. Set him free. They let the man out of that cage. He walks down the road. He can't believe what's happened. He comes across a fellow thief and a murderer. Why are you out? Well, I met this man. This man who set me free. Well, who is this man? That man is my king. Do you see the difference? Do you hear the gratitude in that man? Well, God has chosen to be our God. We didn't choose him. Yes, we did, but we didn't choose him. He chose to be our God, the all-powerful one. We are the weak ones. And in response we say, thank you God for being our Yahweh. 
the all-powerful one in whom all existence exists. Do you see the difference? Now, what difference would that have made to Israel? They understood this. What difference would that have made to them walking through the desert? Well, as they're walking through the desert and as tribes start attacking them because they're going through other territories, this would have made quite a difference. Yahweh has promised he will bring us into Canaan. And so we can go out in the name of Yahweh, the one who is our God, and we are his people. And as they were about, as they are here, listening to Moses' speech, about to enter into the land of Canaan, and you know what that was going to be like? There were giants living there. Remember? And they still had to conquer them at this stage. This would have made quite a difference to them. Yahweh. The God who is our God, who chooses to be our God, He will be there with us. What a difference that would have made. You see, now Israel could love, love their God because of His great love for them. And so now, when you go and read the Ten Commandments and you understand that, see what a difference it makes. Let's look at one, a couple. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. What if God chose me? If he chose to be my God, I didn't do anything to deserve that. Why would I have any other gods before him? Do you see the difference? It's not a rule anymore. It's an act of love to make sure that you have no other gods before God. It's an act of love now. Let's look at another one. You shall not make for yourselves any carved image and bow down to them. If he's the all-powerful God, if all life is in him, why would I want to worship anything else? I love him. Do you see how the Ten Commandments? It's a love statement back to God. That's how it should be. And yet today, we read Ten Commandments. What does it summarize to people? Oh, Christians and their rules. And we sometimes are guilty of that too, right? They are statements of how to live a loving relationship before God. Are they difficult to keep? You bet you they're impossible to keep. But that's why he gives us his spirit. And that's why Jesus Christ died. He kept those love rules perfectly. So true worship of God is a love for him because I understand that the all-powerful, all-knowing God has chosen to be my God despite my natural rebellion against him and despite my natural weakness to sin. That old hymn said it beautifully, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, take and seal it with thy spirit from above. Beautiful words. And then thirdly, if you want to worship God aright, you need to have a holy fear for God. You need to love our God, but you need to live for our God too. Because it always works out into action. You see, true worship of the Lord means my love for him is turned into living for him. My love translates into living. You see, here Moses, he's the mouthpiece for Yahweh. He tells the people what their love for the Lord is to, be, to look like in everyday practice. So his sermon is a nuts and bolts. This is what it should look like in your lives. And so when you get to the rest of um, chapter 6, verses 5 to 9, this is the nuts and bolts of how you are to live before the Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
And these words I command you shall be on your heart. Teach them to your children. When you lie down, when you walk by the way, when you rise, bind them as signs on your hands. Put them as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house. In other words, whatever you do, live for the Lord. That's what that's saying. Love the Lord your God. It's a deliberate love. And so when those armies stand tall against you, and they're going to stand tall against you, and there seems no way out, then love your God based on how He has chosen to love you and live for Him. Be courageous as you attack them. God was, is with you. In today's language, we'd say, when the armies come up against you, when nothing makes sense anymore, when life is around, you've got that report that you're going to die, it's a matter of time, then God's word says to you, fly on your instruments. This cloud all around, fly on what your instruments are saying. I had to bring aviation in. It's my birthday. What are the instruments in the Christian's life? God's promises. God's promises. Fly on His promises. The world around you and everything around you will point against that. But hold to the promises of Yahweh. Hold to Almighty God's powerful promises to you. He will bring you through. Trust Him. Tell your trembling soul to love God. He will be faithful to you. You see, Romans chapter 8, verse 30 to 32, and just the one verse says, If God is for us, who or what can be against us? Believers, did you hear that? I don't know what you're going through. We're all in different situations in life. But if God is for us, I choose to be your God. What can go against us? Who is God? Almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, got the universe in His hands. That God says, trust me. So love Him with all your heart, soul, and might, with the totality of your being. There's no small section of your life that you've got this private, keep out God, notice on. No area of your life is your own. Love God with all your life, totality. Think over these words. May these words dwell on your heart. I will put them on your heart. You see, Israel were to think about these words that Moses was speaking as they were conquering the people of Canaan. They had to think about these words as they were interacting with the enemies that they had taken captive. If they were fortunate not to get killed. They had to think about these words that God had given them when they were bringing up their children. They had to think about these words of Moses when they were spending time with their wife, when they were purchasing the next mule cart, when they, were, they had to acknowledge Yahweh in everything. Teach them diligently to your children, says the Lord. You can't get more practical than this. We just fail so quickly, that's a problem. Ten Commandments are not hard. Teach them diligently and teach your children. So when, whatever you're doing, teach your children when they are young. Aristotle famously said these words. He said, give me a child until he is seven and I will show you the man. Those are frightening words, you know. We've had kids. Jenny, they're here today. Who shapes your children if it's not you? The kindy teacher, 
because they spend a lot of time with people. They're teachers at school. Someone will shape your child if you don't when they're small. And so find opportunities every day to bring up your children, to illustrate God's teachings to them in real life. They need to see how to apply God's word to my life in practice. And so when they're with you in the car, and you see that car cutting in front of you, and you sin by whatever, getting on their tail, saying something, whatever. I know. In front of your kids, use that moment to say, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, kids. I should be more patient. Use those as teaching moments. Instead of buying your next, next flash TV, We've just seen in the paper today why Wham is bringing the ship around, which is going to take sight and the gospel around to the people in the islands, right? There's an opportunity. I'm using it as an example. Instead of your flash TV, why don't you, with your kids, talk to them and decide, hey, kids, instead of buying the new TV, we'd all like a new TV, right? Yes. Instead of buying the new TV, why don't we give some of this money to this mission ship? And let's go and see them when they come here to the dock. And take your kids. Big ship. Let them speak to the crew. Ask the crew what they're going to do. You know, God uses those moments to shape our lives and your children's lives. Who knows? There could be another James Hudson Taylor or whoever in your kids. God uses these moments. We need to show them the relevancy of God's word. Bind them in, on your hands. Whatever you do, the Jewish people take this literally. Many of them do. And they've got their phylacteries or their mesolot, they call them. And they actually have little boxes of God's word on their hands and as frontlets between their eyes. And they've literally put God's word on their doorposts. Can't be a bad thing, I guess. But it was meant here as a picture. Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Live for the Lord because he is your God. You are his people. And why must, must we do that? Then the answer is in verse 12. Here it is. Why must we live in this way? Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You see, we must remind ourselves constantly of God's word to us. We must teach our children constantly about how God's word applies to us. Why? Because we've all got short-term memories. And we need to keep reminding ourselves. Otherwise, we so quickly start taking credit for the good around us to ourselves. I've got this stuff because I work so hard. No, my friend. You've got this stuff because God gives you the ability to work so hard. So give Him praise. You know, I'm nearly through with this. There's never been a greater falling away from godly living into pseudo-Christianity, which becomes no Christianity at all, where materialism has come about. In Europe and the West, where evangelical Christianity saw revival once, 1905 in Wales, massive revival, where Bibles were printed, Europe and the West have become dark with atheism, with spiritism, with humanism, and with shrinking churches. In the East and in Russia, where persecution against Christians has been and is rife, 
the church has grown. But where materialism has come into the East, for instance, in China, and you speak to believers from there, from the underground church, where materialism is becoming a big thing in China now, the church has started becoming weak-willed. And many are starting to fall away. And there's a growing number of those who once claimed Christ as their Lord. Sad. We're not immune in this country, by the way. New Zealand. The latest stats of 2018, and I've got the graph up here for you. We'll put it up there in the Crindle Report. He's a good Aussie. We trust him. Look at what's happening to Christianity in New Zealand. The latest stats say that 33% only of Kiwis claim to be Christians now. That's just claim to be Christians. Of those, 16% attend church at least once a month. Right? And of those, only 9% are actually active in their churches. That's sad, people. But yet it's an opportunity for us to do something about it. To strengthen those who have fallen by the wayside. To take the gospel out to those who still do not know. There's the opportunity amongst the tragedy. You see, the result of being conformed in our thinking and our practice to society around us and the watering down of God's word and making excuses for why we can't follow his commands as he asks us to, as he tells us to, is that true worship of God no longer matters in our country. So what do we do about that? Three bullet points, literally. You've been created to worship. Who or what are you worshiping this morning? I don't mean sitting in this church. I mean as a person. Who or what are you worshiping? That means your thoughts, your daily practice, the resources that have been given to you, your energy. Is it the Lord? Is it Yahweh? Is it the one who brings into existence whatever exists? Or is it another God of your own making? Maybe a comfortable Human-sized God, who is no God with a capital G at all. Secondly, love the Lord your God in all aspects of your life. Every single part submitted to Jesus Christ. Allow your worship of God to define who you are as you serve Him every day. Let your worship define who you are every day. Don't let who you are every day define how you worship. Because there won't be much worship. It has to work the other way around. And then lastly, let's live out the gospel. We've seen the need, those reports. We've seen the need. Let's live out the gospel as we live in obedience, as we pass on that good news. And what is that good news? That the God who has chosen to love us is the one we are to worship. And he says, come to me. I can be your God. You too can be my people. Worship matters to God. Let's pray. Lord our God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder in your word.
that our eyes so quickly go off who our real God is. And our eyes are so quickly sidelined into society and everything society has to offer. And very soon we forgot, we've forgotten that you are the source of our blessings. And Lord, we've forgotten that you are the God, the all-powerful one who chose us and even made it possible for us to choose you. Lord, thank you. And may we live grateful lives this week. May we live lives before the world which show that this all-powerful Yahweh, that you are our God. May we live lives which show that we trust you and your promises. Whatever you've said, we will trust you with our lives. And when the world sees that type of trust, it points to you, a God who is a living God, a true God, a God not made out of materials, the one who is everlasting. Help us to be true lights and true salt in this world you put us in. To your glory and to the glory of your kingdom, Jesus Christ. Amen.